Good morning, Antonia Marie Pribble. Welcome on VH Berries. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Lovely to be here. I am extremely grateful. How are you doing today? I am doing really well today, actually. I've just been out to uh, the local library with my youngest son, Gus, who's 20 months at the moment. And there's this lovely um, class or session on a, a Thursday morning um, <laughs> called Wriggle and Rhyme. And it's for babies and lots of parents and babies sit in a circle and sing nursery rhymes and, and do all, all, lots of other fun things. And it's literally one of the things that gives me most pleasure in life <laughs> is going to this class. So I'm, I'm feeling very good today. <laughs> Since your appearance in Mirror Mirror in 1995, you have challenged the concept of reality. Because if we cannot trust the reflection of this uh, beautiful oval-shaped antique mirror, who can we trust? <laughs> well... You ask a very good question. Yeah, that's right. We just look at this mirror. We think it's a normal mirror, seeing our reflection, and then you put your hand on it, and all of a sudden you travel back a hundred years in time. So exactly, who can you trust in the world? <laughs> Absolutely, Antonia Marie Pribble. And I would love to discuss about this project called Mirror Mirror, because this is the one that made uh, your journey the way it is today now. This is the, things, the thing that started everything. Can you tell us a little bit more um, about this television series and reflector and glass? <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was the the thing that kicked my career into action because it was my first professional job. And I was 12. It was 1997, actually, um, not 95. But um, so I am kind of unusual in the sense that I've known that I wanted to be an actress for my whole life, like literally from my first memories as a small child aged maybe three or four, I've I've just had this inner knowing that I wanted to perform, that I wanted to be an actress. And I don't really know where it came from other than inside me because I I didn't have any um, of my family members or in my wider community pursuing a career in the arts. So I didn't necessarily have any role models in that way, but it was just something inside me that just loved it and wanted to do it so much and knew that I would do it as weird as that sounds so as a child I did lots of um, I took every opportunity I could to do any kind of acting so I would you know when I could read I would um, look through the newspaper for any auditions for any local theatrical productions or any drama classes that were offered in the school holidays and I was always so devastated that throughout my whole primary school so which goes from five to twelve we only did one show we only did one school production whereas other schools <laughs> did one every year and that was just you know such a shame to me so I took yeah every opportunity I could to do acting on a on an amateur level you know not a professional level and I 
I just loved it. It just made me come alive in a way that that nothing else would. I loved every second of it. And then when I was 11, um, my best friend's family lived next door to an acting agent. And my best friend's mom, knowing how into it I was, asked me if I would like to get signed up with this agent. And I had no idea what an agent was. And my parents didn't really know either because none of us were in the arts. But they said to me, okay, well, yep, you can get this agent as long as you organize it yourself. (laughs) And so I did. I rang up this acting agent and um, she was probably quite surprised to hear an 11 year old on the other end of the phone. Um, And I said, I want you to be my agent, not knowing what that meant at all. Uh, And so I went in (laughs) and I did sort of a camera test for her. And then she took me onto her books and I did a couple of auditions and I didn't, didn't, they didn't go any further. And then I auditioned for Mirror Mirror. So that was probably, yeah, about my third-ish audition. And I was 12 by that stage. And I got the part. And it was really quite a profound moment for me. Uh, even as a 12-year-old, I could really feel the significance of that for a few reasons. I just started high school. Uh, in, in New Zealand, you, you start high school uh, when you're, well, either 12 or 13. I was 12. I was slightly young for my class. And I'd only <laughs> been there for six weeks. And I had made all these new friends. I was really enjoying it. And there's a third form musical that gets put on. And you remember, I was so upset that I didn't get to do many productions in primary school. And I knew that I would be missing out on doing the third form musical if I did this job. And that was really a significant thing for me to think about. So I was, because if I did this job, I would leave school for six months. It was a six months commitment. But the other element of it was, I suddenly realized that my dreams of becoming an actress were coming true. And it's actually quite a scary prospect when you've wanted something for so long, but it's felt quite ephemeral and in the distance. And then all of a sudden it's happening to your life right now. And that (laughs) felt really big, if you know what I mean. So I kind of had to really sit with that and feel the, the wonderful fear of that. And I really, even though this sounds crazy, I really almost said no to it because it just felt so like it just almost felt too much to be actually stepping into this life that I had dreamed of. So I, I, I had a, a few days to decide and my parents were obviously really um, involved in the process of decision making, but ultimately left it up to me to decide. But I obviously did end up deciding to do it. And that, of course, was the right decision because it did set me on this path that I'm that I'm still on today. But um it interestingly wasn't an easy decision because it just did feel so momentous. So I said yes and did the job for six months and um, it was great but very challenging at the same time. I was only 12 and it was a, a show, there were four leads and so we were in most of the scenes. So there were long days. We were filming in winter in New Zealand in Wellington, which is very cold. And I just remember being freezing most of the time. Um, But I I learned a lot. Like I'd never been on on a set at all before then. I didn't really know what acting for real was like. So I, I learned an incredible amount and I had really lovely supportive people around me 
and then obviously I was doing school whenever I didn't have a scene um but yeah it was it was a it was a great experience that definitely had challenges but I of course don't regret saying yes to it because it was the thing that that set me on my path This is very inspiring, Antonia Marie Pribble, because that series of events led you to portray the character of Mandy McForlane in front of uh, <laughs> that mirror that acts, acts um, as a gateway uh, between the present and the past and especially in season two between the year 1997 and the year 1867. Yeah, it was yeah 1997 to 1897. So we went back just, uh, we went back a, a crisp 100 years to the gold mining times of New Zealand um, and What I mainly remember about that was just a lot of mud because <laughs> they built this incredible gold mining set uh, and, it, you know, it was as realistic as possible. So, of course, there weren't, weren't any roads or anything. There was just mud and we would just get so muddy every time we filmed. And in the mornings, it was so cold that the mud would be frozen. <laughs> <laughs> I really have strong visceral memories about how cold it was. <laughs> And Antonia Marie Pribble, something that I am sure you're remembering even less is probably the numbers and letters that are on the license plate on the car parked uh, in front of Limerick House <laughs> in the very first scene in which you're appearing. I am talking about OC 7624. Um, I'll have to take your word for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely do not know that. <laughs> so, good spotting. <laughs> Absolutely, because in that very first scene, we can see your character going back to the house and saying that line, look at what I found in the old box, in the stables. Oh, what, what was it? <laughs> what did I find? <laughs> If I understood correctly, you found a very special clothes. I assume that this is a shirt. Oh, look, I have to admit, I can't really remember that. I haven't watched the show. Oh my gosh, well probably since 1998 or something. <laughs> I'm actually impressed that you found this footage because I've, yeah, in the past sort of tried to find little bits and pieces of that show just sort of to take a walk down memory lane and I haven't managed to find some. But you obviously, you can let me know after we finish where you found it. <laughs> I will definitely show you the shortcut to find this piece of history in filmmaking. And I just mentioned the word close, which is a very important one uh, for your character, because I feel that you had an abundance of close 
clothes uh, with uh, horizontal stripes uh, that maybe inspired a, an entire generation of subways sit in the London underground. Well, look, if Mandy McFarlane's wardrobe can claim responsibility for that, then yeah, she was doing pretty well. But yeah, you're right. I hadn't really thought about that before. But as I'm just remembering some of the things I wore, yeah, you're right. They they often were horizontally striped. So maybe the costume designer, yeah, just knew that the subway seats needed to change and this would be a way to do it. <laughs> The subway seats, Antonia Marie Pribble, always need to change. But for now, I don't think that there are any subways in New Zealand. And I would love to discuss about your relationship with Wellington, yeah. the place you grew up in. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I love Wellington, the city that I grew up. So I lived there from when I was born to when I was 20. When I was 20, I auditioned for the part um, of, of Loretta in Outrageous Fortune and ended up getting the part. So I moved to Auckland at that time when I was 20. But yeah, up till then, I lived in Wellington uh, in the same house. And actually, my parents still live in the house that I was born in and that I grew up in. So it's so special every time I go back there that I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm really going home. You know, that was my home. Um, so yeah, Wellington's a great little city. It's it's called like a, a big little city because it's got a, a big heart. It's um it's by the water, so you're very close to um to the water at wherever you are in the city really. It's it's pretty cold water, so I never did much swimming when I grew up, but it's still really nice to just be close to the ocean. Um, one thing that Wellington is famous for is the wind, windy Wellington, and it really is quite something. Like now I've lived in Auckland for a long time and whenever I go back and visit I I'm sort of reminded how windy it is like to the point where you can't use umbrellas because they just break and if you're in a particularly windy part I've had the experience where if I'm holding bags in my hands they literally are you know my arms are out like this and I'm just getting it feels like you're getting blown along and could almost get lifted up in the air it's it's really really quite intense um but it's kind of part of its signature you know and everyone in Wellington just embraces it and because it is quite a uh con a condensed city you know it's not big and sprawling like Auckland is you can walk everywhere like a, a lot of people walk the city as opposed to drive the city and where I grew up we lived about 10 to 15 oh yeah 10 minute walk into the CBD so or you can catch a little cable car which was also close to my house so I, I love that about it it's you, you really experience the city in a very immediate visceral way because you're you're walking around it as opposed to driving in your car getting out where you need to go and then and then driving off again um, it's very hilly that's another thing that Wellington is known for so you're always going to be either walking down a hill or walking up a hill but again I kind of I quite like that because again you just feel like you're really doing something <laughs> you know you're you're really going for a good walk <laughs> whenever you sort of leave your house so it's um yeah it's a it's a it's a really great place and I I love going back there this is a very great place Antonia Marie Pribble and Wellington um 
is very close to water and obviously very close to the Cook Straits that separate the north and the south of New Zealand. I read and I and if I understood correctly, this is one of the most unpredictable waters in the world. Is that right? Wow, I didn't I did not know that it had that um international <laughs> comparison. Yeah, it definitely can be pretty rough. There's uh ferries that can take you from Wellington to Picton, which is uh, a port at the top of the South Island. Um but they are frequently cancelled <laughs> because of because of bad weather and high winds. I guess that's that would be why it's so unpredictable. In definitive, Antonia Marie Pribble, Wellington is the safe uh, place for you or what I can also call the safe home. Uh-huh. And I am now <laughs> making a direct connection with an upcoming project. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, I can. I'm very happy to. I. I feel so, um, yeah, I feel so proud of the show. So I'm very happy to talk about it. Um, It's coming out on SBS in Australia on the 11th of May. So very, very soon now. Um, I went over to Melbourne last August to, to film the show. And it was, yeah, quite a significant one because it was the first job I did after having my second baby Gus the one I was at the the library with this morning so I took about 11 months off to just be with him and then started yeah slowly getting back into a bit of work and uh safe home was the the first one I did and obviously it was um in Australia so that you know had its own uh benefits and also challenges so the all four of us me my partner Dan Freddie our oldest child and Gus went over um and we were over there for about five weeks I think in the end and it was a very special show. I did a show called Sisters um, a few years ago. Gosh, sorry, my I'm looking very bright now because there's a skylight above my head and a cloud must have just moved. So uh, sorry, everyone, if I'm like reflecting light back into your eyes and it's hurting, I'm sure it'll change soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, a few years ago, I went to Melbourne to do a show called Sisters. Uh, and the producer of that show was a wonderful woman called Imogen Banks. And she is the producer of Safe Home as well. So it was really wonderful to be able to go back and work with her again. Um, but it felt like a really important show to be part of because it's about family violence. Uh, in other countries, family violence is called domestic violence, but it's it's called family violence in Australia. And it's a real problem, the statistics of mainly women, but men as well, who are affected by family violence is just shockingly high. And it's the same in New Zealand. So this show is about that. So it's a very... Um, challenging, uh, delicate, difficult subject matter to talk about, but very important to talk about it as well. Because if someone can watch this and feel empowered to leave the situation that they're in or to even recognize that they are a victim of family violence, because a lot of the time we're not just talking about physical abuse. There are so many different elements to what family violence can be and sometimes people don't know that in fact that's what's happening to them so that's why it's so important for shows like this to be made so people can perhaps see 
their experience or their friend's experience reflected on screen and it, it might feel make them feel more empowered to to leave and, and get help so um yeah I felt really really uh I felt a huge responsibility to 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 tell this the story to the, the best of my ability because it really felt like it really mattered and the whole cast and crew felt exactly the same we all recognized um the importance of telling the story at this time and yeah it was um a very a very special one to be part of and um I'm really looking forward to it coming out and and seeing what people think this is SBS and another project uh, that is very important in your journey, Antonia Marie Pribble, is the one that is considered as a very formative one during your formative years because you learned about the craft, about the lines, taking the right mark and finding the light. I am talking about lights because you were mentioning that you were having a lot of light right now. Yeah. And this project is called The Tribe. Yes. Yeah. All of those things that you said are very true. So uh, after I did Mirror Mirror when I was 12, at the end of that year, I did a show called uh, A Twist in the Tail with William Shatner. And then the following year, <laughs> I, I started um, The Tribe and I did that for five seasons. And yeah, it was a very um, important show for me because it went for five seasons. You know, I think we shot 260 episodes all up. So it was just, it was such a big part of my life. I, uh, the first season I did full time. <laughs> the second, so which again meant six months out of school. The second, third, and fourth season, I decided that I didn't want to take any more time out of school because uh, in New Zealand, when you're about 15, the last three years of school, that's when you have national exams and things. And I decided that I just kind of wanted to focus on my education. But amazingly for me, the producers of the tribe really respected that decision and they wrote the scripts around my school holiday dates. So for three years, I would just go to school and then film on the holidays, go to school, film on the holidays. And what that meant was my character got kidnapped a lot <laughs> because they had to keep inventing ways for my character to just leave for a few weeks and then come back and then leave again. But look, they did a, they did a wonderful job. And yeah, it was a very, it was a very special time. So the idea of the tribe is that it's set in this, <laughs> in this post-apocalyptic world where all of the adults have died due to some mysterious virus. Very weird now talking about this in a post-pandemic COVID world. But anyway, back in 1998, when we started, it did just feel very much science fiction, as opposed to science fact. But anyway, uh, so all of the adults have died. So children are ruling the world and trying to reestablish life again. And there are some tribes like my tribe we were called the mall rats because we lived in a shopping mall. Our set was extraordinary. Like they built almost a one-to-one -one actual shopping mall, like with, you know, two levels, huge staircase, all these shops. I think at the time it was like the biggest set in the Southern Hemisphere or something. It was really impressive. I've never been on a set like that since. Um, 
And yeah, so our tribe are trying to rebuild sort of a democracy. And then there are other tribes that are trying to rule through power and chaos. And we, they were sort of thinking, okay, so if there are no adults, how would children and teenagers behave? And what would they do? And what would they wear? What would they dress? So they decided to make our our whole aesthetic quite punk-like. So we all had in really crazy colored hair. Like I had purple hair. Another guy had bright orange. One girl had pink on this side, blue on this side, like really all of the colors of the rainbow we had on our heads. And we had lots of interesting makeup sort of, because we're all in different tribes, we'd all have a symbol that would represent that tribe. And so we'd have this tribal marking, these symbols on our faces and, and our costumes were also, yeah, kind of like Mad Max would would maybe be a, a good equivalent. So it was kind of wild. And because there were no adults, the whole cast were children. So I think our ages ranged. I was 14 when we started. And I think the youngest actor was about maybe nine and the oldest was 16 or 17. And the bulk of us were between 14 and 16 and 17. So it was kind of an amazing and intense, this group of of teenagers just being chucked together and and working in this really intensive way because you know film hours are really intense you're there for 12 hours a day with each other for five years and and um yeah it was just quite a unique way to grow up and I I just made such wonderful friends that I'm still in in close contact with I feel really close to all of them and then a, a few of them I, I I see all the time for example one of them um her name's Tori. She played Celine in the tribe. We have similar age children. So tomorrow we're taking our kids to a dance class together, <laughs> you know. So they're really still still very much in my life. And, yeah, and in terms of what you said about the craft, that's absolutely right. Like we were, we were on set for five years making 260 episodes of the thing. So I really learned, you know, professionalism, like learn your lines, and because we were all kids, they had to really be quite sort of firm with us. So we learned our lines and we hit our marks and we found our light and we found the camera. We worked out eye lines, you know, all of all of those um, craft elements of, of t- TV and film, of screen technique. Uh, it was it was it was a great a great learning learning opportunity for that. It was a very great learning opportunity. And I am trying to understand what happened to your character, Trudy, because you just mentioned that the creator of the show um, staged a sort of kidnapping. But if I understood correctly, there were no adults. It means that some kids were kidnapping some kids. Literally kidnapping. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no adults. So just various other tribes of kids. I think this particular virus affected kids over the age of 18. So an 18-year-old would be the oldest person around. Um, Yeah, oh, look, so many things happened to Trudy. Poor old Trudy. She, uh, She had a baby when she was 14. So she was a teen mom. Then she got kidnapped because this particular tribe called the chosen worshipped the father of her baby as a god and he he died so then she sort of became the supreme mother it was called and then our baby became sort of like a jesus kind of figure because the baby was the son of this man that they worshipped as a god 
So we got kidnapped, but then I got brainwashed and then I got rescued. But then maybe was I still affiliated with them? <laughs> like, so much, so much happened to poor old Trudy. She didn't have an easy ride of it, probably mainly because the writers had to keep inventing ways to get me out of the script so I could go to school. <laughs> so I have a lot to a lot to answer for. <laughs> In definitive, Antonia Marie Pribble, you have made over a thousand a television series episode in total, which is why, of course, you don't remember the letters and numbers on the license plate on season two, episode one, during a 10 second footage. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Over a thousand. I um, thank you for counting them for me. I've never done that before. But yeah, I, I guess that does make sense that some um, that's that's a lot of episodes. Yeah, I can't quite believe that. <laughs> and on one side, we have a variety of episodes, but I am sure that you are remembering two of those very well. I am now talking about the panic years and procrastination. Yes. So you're talking about my podcast? Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so I, I'm making a podcast at the moment. Um, we've recorded season one and we're so that's all out wherever you get your podcasts. It's called What Matters Most and we're recording season two at the moment and it's been a really um, <laughs> lovely journey. So to a fellow podcaster, obviously, we can, we're podcast colleagues now. Um yeah, I, well, a few years ago, I've been wanting, I'm really, alongside acting, I'm really interested in learning about life and how to live life well and how how humans work, how our, how our brains work, how we can most help ourselves and help other people to uh, live a meaningful and fulfilling life. I've just been, yeah, really curious about that for a long time and I've done a lot of my own um reading and research into that. So um, a few years ago, I decided to actually start making content ar around the things that I was interested in. So I did a, a, a little online series called Being Human, which again, explored some of the elements of being human. And then I, when, uh, when COVID hit, I um, made a, a my first podcast on my own because obviously podcasts are really good things to do during a lockdown because you can do them in your house on over over zoom or whatever it is you're using so I yeah made this two seasons of a of a podcast called the most of it which again ex wanted to explore this question of how can we make the most of our lives and what what does what does making the most of our lives mean to different people and what knowledge and information can we learn to to help us make the most of our lives and that was really wonderful I enjoyed the process and then uh, what matters most came about because my producer of the most of it also produced another podcast that my friend Jackie was making and Jackie Maguire is her name she's a clinical psychologist and she and I met at a mother's group in Auckland because we have children the same age and she had a podcast also with this producer and our producer had this great idea of getting us together and um, having a dialogue uh, about the issues that we are interested in so relatively similar to my 
the most of it podcast but on that one I had different guests every week whereas on what matters most I just talk to Jackie every week but it's been such a wonderful process we went into this really wanting to create something that would have tangible benefit in people's lives and give them ideas and and tools that they could use to really hopefully improve their lives in some way and we've just had the most wonderful feedback from people saying exactly that just people really grateful um, to have this information out there and, and accessible to them so in season one we talked about things like why the pursuit of happiness is not the best thing to focus on in life um, how to connect with your inner child how to have difficult conversations how to make friends with adults uh, why we procrastinate and uh, the panic years as you mentioned which is the time in a woman's life specifically between 25 and around the early 40s when you suddenly have to make a lot of really intense significant decisions in your life finding a partner what career do I want to do do I buy a house do I have a baby which is a really big one that obviously unfortunately has a, a firm clock on making that decision um, and how that can really lead to a lot of stress in, in women's lives. So we talked about that too. And um, yeah, it's just been a, a, a wonderful process. I get a lot out of having the conversations with Jackie myself and we're so, so pleased that other people are too. And yeah, we're, we're getting on with recording season two at the moment. In this adventure, Antonia Marie Pribble, your right arm is uh, Jackie Maguire, who had uh, uh, her own podcast called uh, Mind Brew, and who is, as you just mentioned, a clinical psychologist, writer, speaker, and a media contributor. And I am very curious about what uh, Jackie Maguire and yourself are preparing for the audience during the season two. Yeah, uh, well, I can probably tell you a couple of the episodes without giving too much away. Um, we had a lot of people get in touch with us because ultimately we would like uh, all of the topics to be audience led because we want this to be really useful for for people so we want to find out what is what they would like to know about and we had a lot of people getting in touch with us about a particular topic because this year in New Zealand it's been really tough for people uh, we've had uh, two really significant weather events which have been extremely destructive and challenging we had a cyclone and a flood uh, and so parts of New Zealand um, were just destroyed and people's homes were destroyed unlivable people died people lost everything uh it's been it's very difficult it's been very difficult and it still is while people are now going through the process of of working out where they're going to live and um if they can go back to their original house and all those questions so we had a lot of people get in touch with us about how to cope after a natural disaster and what to do when life is so uncertain and what to do if you don't feel hope for the future and you feel so much fear. So we, we've done an episode on that. Uh, and we've also done one on attachment styles. So that's uh, the way, the nature of your bond with your own parents as a child and how that affects uh, your your behavior as an adult. Um, so yeah, there you go. There's, there's, a, there's a couple of, of, um, of topics to whet, whet the appetite. <laughs> 
In conclusion, you are uh, shining the lights on the therapy we all need uh, in our everyday uh, lives. And I am looking forward uh, to listen to the next page, next chapter of what matters most. Thank you, Antonia Marie Pribble. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me on.